Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. I will be reading from the New American Standard Version. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's such a thrill to look back over the audience and see so many gathered here this morning with one single purpose in mind, and that's to come and to worship God, and I appreciate the presence of every single one of you. Uh, just two or three weeks ago, I was talking to somebody after, please bear in mind, this was after service, about a movie that Mia and I had just seen a couple of days before that point, and somebody said, well, describe that movie for him. He hadn't seen it, and I said, well, basically, it was a two-hour adrenaline rush. By, by way of comparison, i tell you what really gets my blood pumping is to walk into this church building. As I was walking from class into the auditorium for worship, there was such a hubbub of activity in this transitional foyer, and people talking, glad to see one another. There were children who were running around, and then I get into the building, and I see all of you, again, with one purpose in mind, and it just really, really thrills my soul. And I want you to know that I, I consider it a grand privilege to be a part of this good church. There was an Indian that was visiting New York City. He decided to go walking. That's never a good idea in New York City. But he was escorted by a friend who happened to live there. And as they were walking in the busiest section of Manhattan, the Indian stopped and said to his friend, Listen, I hear a cricket. And the friend said, That's pardon, but that's that's crazy. We're, we're in downtown Manhattan. How could you possibly hear a cricket? And the Indian said, no, really. I, I, in fact, I'll find him in a minute. So he walked down to the end of the block and he cocked his head and then he walked to the other end of the street. He went to, after he crossed the street, he went to a cement planter that had a tree that was growing out of it. He reached down into the mulch and he pulled up a cricket. And he said, see, I told you there was a cricket around here someplace. And his friend said in amazement, with with all of these subways running and taxis and horns and brakes and everything else around, how in the world did you hear the chirping of a cricket? And his friend said, it is all a matter of what you listen for. And then he said, watch this. And he reached into his pocket, pulled out a handful of change and held it shoulder high and dropped it so that everybody could hear it landing on the pavement. And sure enough, for about a city block around, everyone turned to to hear and to see where that money was. He said, I told you, it depends on what you're listening for. I want to begin this study this morning by asking that question of each and every one of us. What is it in life that we're really listening for? What is it that we're tuning our ears to? What is it that we're allowing into our hearts on a daily basis? What do we really listen for in our culture? And in light of the text that Gabe read a moment ago, I think that the question really boils down to, are we looking specifically at the treasures of this life, or are we really seeking to lay our treasures up in heaven? 
You turn on a TV set and you check out one of those shows that talk about the opulent lifestyles and circumstances of those who live in extravagance while others in the world don't have enough to eat. I mean, there used to be shows on television like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I assume that there are still some like that. But if Jesus were producing a show like that, I'm sure he would have a little disclaimer at the right-hand bottom of the screen saying, warning, everything on this show is subject to moth, rust, and, and thieves. Do you remember when those little yellow triangles were in the back of window of everybody's car? You still see some of those every now and then, but I could remember when that was really a thing, and I could remember seeing one that said, future millionaire on board. And I thought, what a great aspiration for life. Somebody is wanting their child to, you know, to be rich in this world's treasure. And Jesus would put up another triangle, I think, on the other side of the window that would say, lay not up yourself treasures on earth. Because you cannot serve God in money. We need to ask ourselves, I think, some hard questions on occasion about what we listen to. Because there is no doubt that the prevailing atmosphere on many of our college campuses is based on a materialistic mindset, a worldview that has to do with laying up treasures only here in this life. A while back, I know Time Magazine had a special write-up on Harvard University. I'm not attempting to just poke fun or criticism at Harvard, but the article was about Harvard University. And the president of the Harvard Law Review at the time, a man by the name of Adam Cohen, was quoted as saying, and I'm quoting him now, that students now tend to be a very careerist group with a bloodthirsty desire to get ahead, end quote. I'm sure you saw that. You forget about the nonsense about wanting to serve people or make this a better world in some way. It's career time. It's time to get out there and make it because this is a dog-eat-dog world. And the same can be seen even in the sports section of the newspaper. Not that long ago, there was an article about a particular SEC quarterback who was skipping his senior year and going pro. And that was kind of unusual back in his day, but that's pretty much the the norm these days. But still, when he was asked about what his draft preference was, the guy replied, whoever picks first and who pays the most. I think that kind of encapsulates the feelings of a lot of people. If I can get through life and I can somehow accumulate more toys than my neighbor, then I'm, I'm really successful in life. So that message is clear, that a future millionaire is on board and he or she is not to be denied. Another Harvard official was quoted as saying that on their applications, incoming freshmen say that for them, it's money first, followed by power, and then thirdly, making a reputation for themselves. That really doesn't square with the text that we read a moment ago from Matthew chapter 6, does it? The article went on to say that uh, how that you could even see that reflected in, in their ball games. Today when Harvard is, is way behind in any particular athletic contest, the students have a special cheer. Most of you probably know what it is. They chant in unison, that's all right, that's okay. You're going to work for us someday. And of course, the generation of 20-year-olds... They're not the ones who created this value structure. I mean, you could go back even further and you can see a materialistic mindset that's reflected by perhaps ourselves and our parents and even our grandparents. I remember sitting in my church office one time and listening to the sobs of a Christian girl 
who had just talked to her parents and told them that she wanted to change her major. You would think that that wouldn't be any really big deal, but they said, that's fine. You can change your major as long as you select another field where you'll make a good income. And understandably, she was crushed because she was thinking about becoming a missionary. That doesn't come with a great income. You know, we need to ask about our treasures because we live in a country that has shifted from wanting to be good to wanting to feel good. And we feel like that if we can collect enough things that that will fuel our good feelings. And we've now seen that the conservative shift of the first two decades of the 21st century was basically just a shift toward conserving our possessions and our careers. But the Bible says very clearly in the text that I want us to look at this morning that material treasures, Jesus said, are not to be hoarded up. If God has blessed you with things, if you have possessions, if you are, as Ray just mentioned, if we are blessed beyond our ability even to imagine, those things are not there to be hoarded up for ourselves in a selfish way. These are to be used for God's glory and in his honor. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we're looking and what is it that we're listening for as we, as we travel through this world? Because when you look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, where Jesus said, take heed and beware of materialism or covetousness for a man's life does not, does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. I'm sure that some of his uh, disciples who were listening that day were thinking, well, then what, what is it all about? What does life consist of? And we're still asking that question 2,000 years later. But Jesus wanted them and he wants us to know that material treasures are not to be hoarded. They're not to be just stored up. And that doesn't mean that he was forbidding possessions or, or savings account. The Bible never condemns possessions per se. In Acts chapter 12, for example, I'm sure that Mary who hosted the church in her own home. That was where they worshiped, at least for the time being. I'm glad that she was, I'm sure that she was glad to have a home, that she had the resources, that she could open her home, and, and, and if she didn't have a home, then she could not have hosted the meeting of the church, uh, of the disciples in that early church in her house, and she didn't need to give those things up in order to be a good Christian. That was not something that was a qualification for her to be a, a good child of God. She was using her possessions for God's glory. And there was a lot of sharing in the early church. And you can walk through the book of Acts and you can see that over and over again, even in the early chapters. A lot of giving of property. But notice that not everyone gave everything, nor were they expected to. In Luke chapter 10, I'm sure that the good Samaritan was glad that he owned some things. So that he could actually help the man who was lying in the ditch when he came along and had the compassion to do so. And to be able to pay for his medical expenses and to pay for his motel bill. It all boils down, I think, to what Paul said in the Ephesian letter. Chapter 4, verse 28. He summarized it for the church in Ephesus by saying, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands that he may be able to give to those who are in need. Once again, no collection of possessions in order to hoard them up or to look at my checkbook and to feel really good about myself because there's so many numerals in the, in, in the ballots side of the ledger, but rather to be able to use those to be a blessing in the lives of others, just as the Samaritan did. And I would guess that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, when we read about those Christians in Macedonia who Paul there described by saying that they gave out of their great poverty 
They gave abundantly to the, to the welfare of the brothers in Jerusalem. I'm sure that they were glad that they had at least that little to give. Neither does the Bible forbid having a savings plan. You know, some have looked at Matthew six nineteen about lay not up for yourself treasures on earth. And, and they've taken that very literally and thought that that meant that you can't ever save anything. If you're saving anything and if you're looking past the end of your nose, then you're not a good Christian. That's not what Jesus was saying. In fact, that would put Jesus in direct conflict with Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, where Solomon talks about the ant that stores up in the summertime for wintertime. And he says, that's a wise thing to do. If it's true for ants, I suppose it would be true for those of us as human beings. But neither does the Bible, again, forbid those kinds of things. What Jesus was forbidding in our text is the selfish accumulation of goods that is rampant around us. The kind of ear that is tuned for the sound of money. And that's about all. Notice he said, don't lay up for yourselves or store up for yourselves. If you write in your Bible, you might want to underscore that word yourselves. Because I think that's really the emphasis of Jesus' observation here. It's not getting things together for the service of Christ or for the betterment of humanity. It's building up treasures for ourselves. It's the kind of extravagant living that, that believes in the fantasy that life consists in having the abundance of things. The more you get, the better off you'll be and the happier you're be- you'll become. That's the materialistic mindset and worldview. It's the idea that if you could just have a little better house and a little better car, then you'd have it made. Life would be abundant. You would be one of those rich people they talk about on television. And I think that's the philosophy that Jesus was talking about. I think that's the very issue that he was addressing. He was saying, don't be one of those people. Because if you do, not only do you have an incorrect perspective on your possessions, but everything in your life, your entire value system is going to be skewed. And the reason, notice you in verse 21, is given there. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He literally is getting to the heart of the matter, I think, with that observation. He said, essentially, here's the problem with deciding that I'm going to accumulate all the material possessions I can in life because that's where your heart will ultimately be. That will be the foundation of your life. And Jesus said, if you're, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you can't look at things and life that way. You know, if God came down and said, let me find your heart, where would he find it? Is it in our bank account? Is it in the stock market? Is it solely in our educational degrees? You see, the reason that you can look at a person's treasure and know where that person's heart is, according to Jesus, is because it was the heart that made that a treasure in the first place. You're the ones who decide how to prioritize these things in terms of their importance. Someone has said it like this. You can picture a pile of hay and a pile of gold. Neither of those things or more valuable than the other in terms of intrinsic value. In fact, if you were on on an island about to die of cold, you would probably rather have a pile of hay, especially if you had a match to go along with it. So it's all a question, Jesus says, of what you put your heart into, what your focus is, what you're really listening for in life. A biographer of Duke of Wellington said that an old account ledger showing how the Duke spent his money was a far better indicator as to what he thought was really important 
than his letters or his speeches. And I really think that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, don't you? If, if you want to find a person's heart, then you might want to start by looking at their bank book. A second principle that I want us to appreciate from this wonderful text comes right on the heels of the first. And that is that material possessions not only are not to be hoarded, Jesus says they're not to be stored up. And there is some difference in those two ideas. Look at Jesus' explanation one more time in verse 19. I hope you still have your Bibles open. He said, where moth, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is, is telling them what they should know already intuitively. And he's telling us the same thing. Everything is destined to go one way or the other. Moths may eat it. Rust may corrode it. Thieves may break in and steal it. But over the long haul, you can't hold on to the things of this earth. Maybe that's the re reason for the wording over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. You may remember in the third chapter... Uh, Peter's second letter, he's talking about the end of time and what it will be like when this old world is done. And he says this, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Folks, if that doesn't get your attention, it should. He says the earth and all the works that are in it will be burned up when the Lord comes for that day of reckoning. You know, it's one thing to speak dispassionately and remotely about this planet getting torched. It's another thing to say, and the works that are in it, because now you're talking about my stuff. You're talking about the things that I've worked hard for to accumulate and to be able to possess and to take pride in. You're talking about my house now. You're talking about my big screen TV and all the things I've worked for that I thought were important. Because Peter gets very personal when he talks about the end of time and that day of reckoning. So if you want to know the value of things, not... Not only do you look at your checkbook, try this exercise. Look in your attic. Those possessions that you worked hard for and maybe labored hard for just a few years ago are now stuck up in the attic somewhere right now. The, the clothes that you just had to have are now out of style. And Jesus was stating an eternal truth when he said, you just, you just can't keep things. They will not retain their value. We're told that even when you buy a brand new automobile and there's nothing but zeros on the odometer, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it already has depreciated in value by a great deal. Those possessions that, that again, we worked hard for now don't seem quite so important. And Jesus is telling us that even, even banks aren't altogether safe, not in the sense that we're, we're able to deposit our, our things, our money there, and know that it will be secure forever. You can't bury them in the ground. You can't lock them in a vault and intend to keep them forever because Jesus said they are destined to decay. And we're reminded every day that nothing is safe from thieves. I remember I, I, having a car stereo stolen out of my wonderful Plymouth Valiant while it was sitting on a, college, a Christian university campus a long, long time ago. But I thought nothing is safe anywhere. If people will walk on a Christian university campus and steal my stereo. And besides that, it was the only eight track I had. <laughs> Recently, some neighbors just across the street from where Mia and I live. I, I came to, uh, home from work one day, saw blue lights in his driveway, walked over. He was standing outside and I said, Willie, what's going on? 
He said, well, while we were going to work, somebody broke into our house. I said, did they get anything? He said, they got pretty much everything. Jesus was right, wasn't he? If the moths don't eat it, the rust will corrode it, or the thieves will break in and steal it. You cannot put your ultimate confidence in the things of this life. You know, we think we're a little more sophisticated than the people of Jesus' day because we pride ourselves on security and protection. The moths don't harm us near as much because we have a thing called mothballs and insecticides. And we have cedar-lined closets. And for the thieves, we have burglar alarm systems and fences and homeowners policies and neighborhood watch groups and especially big dogs. And we keep on the lookout for the thieves. But you know what? The words of Jesus still apply. We simply cannot lay up for ourselves treasures on earth and expect them to last. You know, it may not be the moths. It may not be the rust or the thieves that destroy it, but something will get it. And if nothing else does, eternity will. A paraphrase of 1 Timothy chapter 6, 7 reads like this. We came into this world without a stitch and we go out without a stitch. We have nothing that will last forever. In contrast, consider this as our last point this morning. Heavenly treasures, Jesus said, and there is thankfully two sides to this coin. Jesus said, treasures that you lay up in heaven can in fact be stored. These are things that you can have confidence in for eternity. He told them and us that in contrast to the earthly treasures, our eternal treasures, our heavenly investments can and should be stored up. Here's what he said. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He said those treasures are protected. Even death can't touch them. A heavenly investment is always a bullish investment. It's always a blue chip investment because nothing can touch it. Thieves or moths or rust, you name it, nothing can take away your heavenly investment. That was Jesus' main point, I think. Said another way, the county can evaluate my property, but the county cannot evaluate my treasures. Amen? We're right now, Mia and I, empty nesters. And we have been for a number of years now. In fact, I told one of our fine couples this morning that uh, we never dreaded the empty nest syndrome. In fact, I have to confess to you that I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. But we've been empty nesters for a number of years now. But it wasn't that long ago, it seems, that I'd love for the county assessor to come knocking on my door some morning and say, I'd like to see your treasures. I'd probably have said, you mean my property? But maybe he would have said, no, I, I want to see your treasures. I'd love that because then I would have said, well, you come on in. This is Mia. She is the absolute love of my life. And this is Allison. I got to warn you, if she thinks it, she says it. <laughs> this is Luke. He likes to eat. And the little ballerina with batteries that simply do not run down, that's Emily. And the little one that's just now learning the value of a giggle, that's our baby Sarah. The spot on the carpet is cherry Kool-Aid. And anyone who has their parents' license knows that that will never come out. You can reinstall new carpet, but that stain will never come out. 
And just so it wouldn't get lonely, we dropped some pizza next to it. We believe in a a balanced diet in this house. The green rubber boots that are caked with mud are the ones that Luke wears on safari to the branch on the backside of our property. And the rocking chair sitting over in the corner is getting kind of rickety because we had four kids in six years and that, that chair's got a lot of miles on it. And the stacks of photo albums are worth more than anything in this house. And there are things about our spiritual pilgrimage that I could show you. And I could tell you about it if you had a couple of weeks. I I, I really believe that's the kind of thing that Jesus was talking about, don't you? He wasn't talking about things at all. He was talking about our precious relationships. Those things that ought to be of greatest value. And when we invest in people, in souls... Jesus said, you need to know that you are investing in something that is eternal in nature. So when you invest in the kingdom of God, you're investing in something that's going to last. I I want to build my hopes on things eternal. How about you? And I want to make my investment in something that will last past this old world. Now, there are a couple of challenges that come with Jesus' statement I did not want to take advantage of your time this morning by talking about all of that. I deliberately have split this lesson into two. We'll talk about those challenges, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. But let's end this morning by really assessing our own hearts and where our treasure really is. And if you've been placing your treasures in in, in earthly possessions, then I would beg you to reconsider the perspective, the worldview in your life. If you're not a child of God this morning, and if you're not laying away treasures in heaven and making those heavenly investments on a daily basis and investing your life in people, then I would encourage you to start doing that this very day. And the Bible says that if you turn your back on sin and decide you're going to follow Jesus and walk in his footsteps every day for the rest of your life, if you're willing to confess the belief in his sonship, that he is in fact the, the son of God, and if you're willing to be baptized to have all of your past sins washed away, you can begin opening a new account, and you can begin investing in heavenly treasures, and you can do that right now while we stand and while we sing.